Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a new topic or trend so you can stay informed the easy way. So Rena, what are we talking about this week? So two weeks ago, Chile elected a new leader named Gabriel Boric, and there has been a lot of excitement around Gabriel Boric. He is left-leaning, he has a lot of progressive policies, and I went down a rabbit hole when it comes to the history of Chile, because I realized that I actually did not know much about Chile, which is, I mean, you can't know everything, but it made me realize how, like, Europe and United States focused my life can be, and so it was a good opportunity to sort of expand my knowledge, especially I don't know a lot about South America, actually, embarrassingly. And so yeah, I went down this deep rabbit hole with the indigenous population of Chile, the history of Chile, and have grown just obsessed with Chile. Yeah, he sounds like a really refreshing breath of fresh air. He's pretty young, actually, he was born in 1986, which makes him the second youngest leader of a state. In his plan, he made a lot of promises to make public education free, to reform the pension system, to make a public health care system, to work with the indigenous population, the Mapuche people. And on his campaign trail, he promised to bury neoliberalism. And this is so interesting because when the news of this broke, there was all this talk about Chile actually being the home of neoliberalism, which was news to me. It was also news to me, so I looked into it a little bit, and it's totally true. Chile is often called the neoliberal laboratory, and neoliberalism is defined as a capitalist political model that believes in the free market. So it means that basically the government should be hardly involved at all in the economics and you know running of the country. And businesses in the market basically should regulate itself. This idea actually came from the US from an economic thinker called Friedman, Milton Friedman. And what's so interesting about this is that Chile years ago was a democracy where Allende, who was like a socialist leader, was in charge. And he was kind of for the Chilean people. He was democratically voted in. He did want to make Chile independent in a way, which just meant basically not a puppet of the US. And Nixon and Kissinger, Kissinger, who was a war criminal, by the way, did not like this at all. And so they basically supported a military coup to take over from Allende. This happened on the first, what Noam Chomsky calls the first September the 11th in 1973, I believe it was. The palace was bombed. Allende actually took his own life. Many people were killed. Loads more people were tortured. Many people disappeared who were opposed to this military coup. But this military coup put into place by the US government and the CIA who wanted somebody along their lines in power there. The reason that neoliberalism or a neoliberal economic plan was put into full force in this country was because there are a group of Chilean students who between 1957 and 1970 were invited over to the US to study at the University of Chicago, where Friedman was teaching. And when they came back, they were put into charge in the in the cabinet and everywhere, and they really made this policy of just free market, privatization of everything, and very little government intervention. They 
put it all into action. What happened subsequently was that Chile became one of the countries with the highest GDP in Latin America. However, because of these policies, by 1974, inflation had reached 600%. More than 1.5 million Chileans were unemployed. And even though the economy kind of stabilized by 1988, 45% of the population had fallen below the poverty line. And today, Chilean's economy, although it's grown on a macroeconomic level, so like companies are doing very well, the people themselves are not seeing any benefits. And this is like the massive thing about neoliberalism. So the richest 5% of the population in Chile have more than 50% of the national income. And so this set off a load of protests recently since 2019, basically. And this is why Boric has come into power. One of the things that the United States government likes to do a lot, specifically in South and Central America, is destabilize countries that they want to have control over and or view as a threat for some reason. Particularly, a lot of the times they would use communism as a reason to destabilize these countries. There's a really interesting, well, I always feel bad using the word interesting because it led to the ruins of countries and many deaths. But, for example, in Honduras and in Guatemala, the United Fruit Company, which is a bunch of American companies that joined together to import bananas into the United States, they set up shop in Guatemala and essentially exploited the people, became part of the government essentially. And then when the people of Guatemala tried to fight back by electing their own president, they started a smear campaign, like a literal PR campaign linking what the Guatemalan president or the man who had been elected to communism. And they made fake newspapers, like a PR company was hired to do this. And they made these fake newspapers and they distributed them among Congress. And then they invaded the country and got rid of this president and like set up a military regime. So the United States has a history of doing this so many times, particularly when it comes to bananas that there's actually a term for this, which is Banana Republic, which is also the name of a clothing company in the United States, which is bizarre when you actually stop to think <laughs> about it. What a weird name. There is a film about the Banana Wars of the Banana, or a book, I've read it. Yeah. And it's absurd. And actually, I think the book is really sort of somehow funny and satirical, but it was totally based on real stuff. In this case, in Chile too, though, there's a parallel because the ITT company, which owned the telephones and also like the Sheraton and stuff in Chile, they had interests because what Allende wanted to do was make the telephone service public, which it probably should be because, you know, it's an essential communication thing that probably the government should have. It was interesting because one of the board members or like the directors of ITT was also a former CIA guy. And then they got involved. They got the CIA involved in the Allende thing. It was a weird kind of war and an installment of a dictatorship over a democracy that was all engineered by the CIA, private business, just companies. Because obviously companies are always going to benefit when everything gets privatized to this extent with no regulation. They had this incident in Colombia where some of the workers from the banana plantations started protesting because they like wanted basic human rights and didn't want to work seven days a week because like these banana companies controlled every aspect of their lives like they didn't even pay them they paid them in vouchers vouchers that they could only use in their stores 
And it's slavery. Yeah, it's slavery, absolutely. And they protested. And so the American government put pressure onto the Colombian government and said, if you don't squash this protest, we will. We will sanction you. We will do all these horrible things. So the Colombian army went in and shot everyone who was part of this protest, regardless if they were children, adults, everyone was like just shot. So the United States is just a great, great country with just, you know, it's fabulous. So yeah, so this terrible, horrible event was known as the Banana Massacre of 1928 in Colombia. I was listening to the Site Online podcast and they were speaking to a journalist who lives in Chile. And she was saying that actually during the campaign, the right wing candidate in Chile was using this fear of communism to campaign. Like this was part of his campaign plan. So this is like going back to what the tactics that like the CIA and the United States government used. That's interesting. His name was Kast, I think. And his father was a Nazi. He was saying that his father was, I don't know, conscripted. But then they found out that actually he voluntarily joined the SS in 1942 or whatever it was. And so that's the right wing guy. Boric himself comes from Croatia originally. His girlfriend is Kikas. She looks really cool. She has like a nose ring perpetually messy hair she's totally feminist but she's from a greek family and my the people who came into chile basically from europe the colonizers are all in charge yeah so this is one of the kind of sad things about chile chile sounds like a beautiful wonderful lovely country i didn't it's, mean to it's gorgeous it's yeah great. didn't mean to imply anything was sad about chile Maybe I should say, just really quickly, give you some basic facts about Chile. There are 18 million people in Chile. The average width of Chile is 177 kilometers, so it's a very thin country. At its widest point, it's 356 kilometers wide, and at its smallest point, it's only 90 kilometers wide. It is broken up into 15 regions, all of which are assigned Roman numerals, and they're in order except for three. So one, the capital of Santiago is called RM, so it has its own little region. And then they added two new regions, and instead of renumbering everything, they just slotted them in. So like 15 is actually at the top or something. So that's a little confusing, but if you know how it goes, then... Also, I don't know in which scenario you would be asked to write down all of the regions of Chile in a line, but maybe in school that was something they had to do. It's going to be a test. It's going to be after a this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, Chile also has some interesting facts about it. Santiago, which I mentioned before is the capital, has the tallest building in all of South America. It is 65 stories high. Chile has one of only two human settlements on the Antarctic, on King George Island, which is a military base and there's some scientists there. there's around 150 people that live there chile also has over 500 active volcanoes yeah and six of the 10 top copper mines are in chile so you know woo, a lot going on there for copper yeah. but copper is one of the the reasons why it's so rich i guess for the companies but not for the people yeah yeah and yeah so in terms of Ethnic breakdown. So 50% of the people who live there are white. 40% of them are mestizo, which mestizo means that you are of mixed indigenous and white heritage. And 10% are Amerindian, which just means native population of the Americas. And the native group in the south half of Chile is called the Mapuche. There are around 1.5 million Mapuche that currently live in Chile. And the poor Mapuche have been through some shit. I think that can be said for 
any indigenous group that had the misfortune of being invaded by Europeans. So, as you might know, Spain essentially took over most of South America. Because the Pope said that they could. Great, and as we know, the Pope knows best. So, the Mapuche, they've had a very rough time. Essentially what's happened was their land was taken away from them and they were forced to live in these reservations. And they briefly teamed up with the British to fight the Spanish, but then the British kind of turned on them. And then the British are so two-faced. Everyone should know this by now. They're all over the place. But I think desperate times calls for desperate measures, right? If you can find an ally against your colonizer, even oh, if sure. it's a different colonizer, you kind of roll with it. But yeah, so what happened was, and this is what I got. So I got hung up watching this documentary about the Mapuche because all of the land that was taken away from them was given to quote unquote settlers. And what I got really hung up on here is, is that in modern media, like, when you hear of people trying to escape from poor economic circumstances or war. or war, they're always referred to as immigrants. You know, you have economic immigrants. In German, you have Wirtschaftsflüchtlinge, which means economic refugees. But a lot of people from Switzerland, a lot of people from Germany, left Germany, left Switzerland, and moved to Chile in hope of a better economic future. So essentially, they are also economic immigrants, right? But they're always referred to as settlers. You know, if you're white, you're a settler. If you're not white, then you're an immigrant. Well, it's like also if you're white, you're an expat. Mm, exactly. From the Western world moving around, you're an expat. So 22,000 Swiss people settled in Chile. Yeah, it's a it's lot a for Switzerland. Country. And in order to accommodate these people, the Mapuche were resettled onto smaller land and their land was auctioned off to European settlers. So not only were they forced to move, the government then made money off of the stolen land. Pinochet imposed these anti-terror laws, which were essentially put in place to punish the Mapuche for fighting back. They were used as an excuse, basically. As you know, a lot of bullshit laws often are. And it made them really hard to defend themselves, specifically legally, because all of your rights were basically stripped away from you if you were found guilty under this terrorism law. So you couldn't even fight back in any way. And these laws are still in place to today. So this is why the new president saying he wants to work with and collaborate with the Mapuche is sort of creating hope. Let's, you know, hopefully it's not unfound hope because they still live under the, like, you know, thumb of these laws till today. What's positive is that he had, Birch has worked with in this kind of field before. I mean, he studied law, but he never got his law degree. But he was also advocating for indigenous people in one of his jobs in some previous role. Good. It's nice to imagine a future where people practice what they preach. In total, like 90% of the Mapuche land has been stolen. They only live on 10% of their land. That's what they've been confined to. And the government or previous governments has sort of like tried to come up with like compensation plans, but that have been mostly like empty gestures and have been rejected by the Mapuche. And in one of these documentaries, actually, they were interviewing this German woman who now lives in Chile and a fringe or a, a small population of the Mapuche have sort of in ways to fight back because, you know, they've been forced into extreme poverty. They don't really have anything have sort of resorted to violence as their means of fighting back. Specifically, they will torch homes and fields of these farmers and these settlers, which, like, I'm not pro-violence, but also, like, go Mapuche. If you look at all the violence that has been done against this people, them setting houses on fire and setting crops on fire is nothing in comparison to the horrors that they have had to experience. 
And again, it's like state-sanctioned violence is never seen as violence, but then the violence of the oppressed is always seen as violence, isn't it? So there's a lot of that going on. What were you saying about German Ah, yeah, so there's this German woman, and she was saying she's not going to let this drive her out of Chile because this is her Heimat, and she wants her kids to grow up here too and to be able to experience this. And I, as I was listening to her talk, I was like, don't you think that's how the Mapuche feel? Stunning. Do they not want their children to be able to grow up on their land in their country? How are you so tunnel-visioned about this? And then she also said that she saw some of the land that they had taken back and that they weren't using it to its full potential, and that annoyed her, because she was like, if you're going to take land back, then at least, like, work on it for all it's worth. And then it, like, cuts to this interview with one of the Mapuche guys who now has the land, and he was like, so we farm in this way where we only plant what's natural here, and we don't plant the whole thing because we want to give the earth time to recover, and we don't produce more than we need. Yeah, and this is the problem with that we have now with soil and land and our resources. Just to like maximize everything means that there's going to be nothing soon. And we've basically fucked it. And so these indigenous ways of farming are just way better and probably hold the answer to world hunger and stuff in the future. That's incredible. Yeah, it's just, I, I, I really feel for them as a people because, you know, they went and they interviewed a bunch of them and they, they're really trying, they're like fighting back. They, they hold these art festivals and these music festivals where they like keep their culture and their food and their tradition alive. And, you know, they're a lot of the younger generation, I'm sure the older generation are also, but they were interviewing a lot of young people are getting very political and politically active. And I think there is some splintering within the community because, like, I think some of the younger generation are leaning more towards, like, violence and action and some of the older people are like, "Mm, maybe we shouldn't do that, but... Well, the thing about violence, one of the things about Chile is that actually Chile had the biggest protest since Pinochet just starting in 2019 to about 2020. It got kind of shut down a little bit by the pandemic. These protests were called Estalido Social, which means social outburst. And these protests actually, they first were provoked by a rise in the public transport fare. And they began when a group of like secondary school students decided to do a coordinated fare skipping thing and started putting graffiti and vandalizing property. And there was so much property vandalized, it had this like knock on effect and businesses looted and everything that the president finally woke up, Piñera, who was before Boric, and said, oh, we have a big inequality problem, because apparently he didn't think this was a problem before. And then they kind of tried to like rewrite the constitution and made some changes, like they upped the pension, they went to reduce the price of medication, they tried to complement the salary of workers until they reached the minimum guaranteed income of 350,000 bruto, 50% of Chileans, they have a monthly salary of under $445, while the top 1% receive almost 900,000. And so, yeah, a bunch of measures were actually taken because it is one of the most unequal countries in the world. And this is what happens when capitalism is allowed to just run rampant because nobody's going to regulate that, right? The companies are not going to regulate themselves. I mean, look at Facebook. What is regulating it apart from just more and more profits? And it's a silly idea, Milton Friedman. It's a silly fucking idea. Yeah, fuck you, Milton Friedman. Friedman? What's his name? <laughs> I mean, you know, Professor Doctor University of Chicago. That's the best you can come up with. I think market markets should be able to regulate themselves. Like, 
No, money does not regulate itself. It just causes corruption, inequality, selfishness. Come on, this is not a good system. Anyway, what's really interesting is along the same lines of just stupidity. There's this film called The Chicago Boys. It was made by filmmakers Carola Fuentes and Rafael Valdiavellano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But they actually went back and in- interviewed some of these Chicago boys who are now like old men who created this economic model for Chile. By the way, the CIA was, no surprise, kind of a little bit involved in this too. And like, some of them said in this film, I've only seen clips of the film, I'd like to watch the whole thing, but some of them said, well, I don't know what people are complaining about, I just don't get it. Like, we made Chile really rich, I'm doing fine, most of the middle class are doing fine. They said, yes, you're doing fine, because that's how capitalists work. Like, the people in power are the people who do really great, and everyone else, it's rubbish. And some of them said, well, I think it's it's not a question of inequality, it's a question of envy. It's just like the amount of denial, the fact that so many people are just living in poverty and there's no public education. They have to pay for education and the transport, you know, so like the transport costs were all calculated by like a number of different factors like the petrol cost, blah, 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 and then they put it up, and then people just exploded because the market has nothing to do with the people. It's two different interests, and a lot of them were still not getting it. But yeah, violence. (laughs) I was talking about violence. (laughs) I mean, violence in this case, like, it really did produce an effect. They redid the constitution slightly. They did some changes, and now they've got a new leader who hopefully should be good. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for Chile. We hope it goes well. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. If you're interested to know a little bit more about Chile and it being the laboratory of neoliberalism and economics, watch The Chicago Boys. Thing two, protest work. Don't be apathetic about your current political situation. Chile is the best example. After 40 years and a lot of protests... They started making changes to their constitution. And number three, we have been perpetrators of this before and it's very hard to get out of the habit, but it's annoying to everyone from Latin America and South America when you're referring to the United States, say the United States, and when you're referring to the whole of the Americas or America, it's the entire continent. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com We would love to hear from you.